0: All right, that still just feels a little eerie, doesn't it? You know, just the whole thing, it's just stranger things, you know? And, and maybe you've watched the show and you've tuned in and you're like, oh, that's kind of like the show and I haven't watched it. But, you know, there's, it's true that, that there are these, these things in life that we get fascinated with. And one of the things we're fascinated with. Stranger Things, not, not necessarily the show, but these stranger things that happen, these phenomena. and we're like going, wait, what, what, what is up with that? And, and we, we just get fascinated. We're just kind of drawn and we're attracted to those. And so we're taking some time to look at some of the stranger things in Scripture, that there are a lot of strange things in our Bible, and they're stranger than the things that you and I do and experience and encounter. But that points us to just how great our God is. The last week when we started this series, we started with this talk on the sun stands still. The the, the sun stands still. And and, and this whole thing was about this prayer, this incredible prayer that took place. What happens with our prayer life is that for too many of us, we, we don't pray for things because the only things that we attempt to do with life are the things that we can accomplish on our own. And then so because of that, we don't spend our time just praying to God so that God would use us to do greater things than what we could ever do on our own. And when we do that, we miss out on seeing how big and powerful God is because we won't discover how big and powerful God is until we start praying God-sized prayers. And so we looked in Joshua chapter 10, we looked at this guy that replaced Moses. He, he followed after Moses in the leadership of leading the nation of Israel. And as he was leading that nation, he, is somebody, he had made a peace treaty with some people. They tricked him into doing this, but then all of a sudden they were going to be ta- attacked. The, the five kingdoms had come together and they're going to attack them in and, and an attempt to take care of them and also to deal with the Israelites as well. And so Joshua didn't have much time to prepare, and and that night they left, and they left for battle, and they started defeating these people. And as they started defeating the Amorites and taking them out, he knew that there was not enough time to be able to accomplish completely defeating them. And so he prays this audacious prayer. And the audacious prayer is, God, will you cause the sun to stand still over Gibeon? just, Just freeze it, just pause time right there and and when when you take the and and the moon and and let it sit over Ajalon and it just stop and it just stay there so that we can defeat these people and God answered that prayer and he did And, and 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 when God answered that prayer that Joshua who had prayed that prayer in front of everybody else and they had all seen Joshua praying this prayer and now they saw God answers this prayer. We said there's some things that we can learn. That's a stranger thing in scripture that God just says, okay, I'll pause time for you. You want me to pause time, I'll pause time. But we can learn some things from it. And when we look at the stranger, the stranger thing within this, that a son stands still prayer, it knows some things. It knows what's at stake. And so it goes, hey, there's too much at stake for me to not be praying for God to come in and for God to do something. That a son stands still prayer, that what it knows is it knows that God is the one that we're calling on. It knows this. And so it knows who it is that it's calling out to to intervene in a sun-stand-still prayer. It also knows that God is able to do whatever He chooses to do. And that we can learn from this with with our own prayer life. We looked and said, hey, there's some preconditions to a sun-stand-still prayer. There's these preconditions, and one of these preconditions is, is that God gets the credit. It's not something we're going to pray for and then we're going to go, oh yeah, yeah that other me." God gets the credit that a precondition to a sun stand still prayer is that, that God's actually going to be glorified in whatever it is that takes place. And another precondition is that, that God's will would be accomplished. And see, we all can be praying sun stand still prayers. So today we're going to be looking again in our Old Testament. We're going to be looking at 2 Kings chapter 6. And we're going to be looking at this whole idea of, of getting your edge back. And so there's going to be something that I think is going to be absolutely worth our spending some time together, looking at this event that's going to feel so trivial when you look at this. And it's going to be one of these things like, well, why, why did that make it into Scripture? And I hope that it becomes really clear of what God can do with something this trivial, even in our lives, when we take and we learn from what God puts in Scripture, from what he does. So 2 Kings chapter 6, starting in verse 1. One day the group of prophets came to Elisha and told him, as you can see, this place where we meet with you is too small. So he's he's the major prophet. He's the head prophet. He's the guy that everybody's looking at and going, wow, you do a lot. In fact, not only does he do a lot, but when we read our whole Old Testament, Nobody has done more miracles, that God used him to do all these different miraculous things. Nobody has done more miracles in the Old Testament than Elisha, that that he is the one. Now, now he had somebody that mentored him and that he really leaned into, and his name was Elijah. And and Elijah, when when his time to to, to leave, and, and Elisha, this guy, goes, hey, can I get a double portion of your spirit? You've done incredible things, but I'd like to have a double portion of your spirit. He's like, I can't answer that. That's going to be up to God. And he tells him how that's going to be known, if God's going to do that. And yes, God ended up doing that and honoring that. And so here is this guy. that that he does the second most miracles recorded in our whole entire Bible. There's only one person, and and you could probably guess it. This could be your first day in church. Never been in church before, but you've heard of this guy that you would probably guess who's done the most miracles, and that's Jesus. That that he has more recorded miracles than anybody, but Elisha, he is the second guy. So so because he's done so much, they're, they're going, hey, this place, it's getting too small for us. Just People just keep coming and gathering. They want to be around. They want to be learning. They want to be seeing what it is that you are doing. So they've got this idea. Verse 2, let's go down to the Jordan River where there are plenty of logs and we can build a new place for us to meet. All right, he told them. Go ahead. You know, that's, hey, delegate, right? Go, go ahead. You, you want to do that? Just, that's fine. You, you guys just go and you guys, you guys build that and I'm totally cool with that. Verse 3, please come with us, someone suggested, I will, he said. So he went with them, and when they arrived at the Jordan, they began cutting down trees. It's kind of like this is just kind of like one of these boring stories in scripture so far, it seems like. Verse five. But as one of them was cutting a tree, his axe head fell into the river. H- have, have you ever lost something valuable? You know, that that, that, that you you had this thing, it's valuable, it was with you, and all of a sudden, boom, it's just gone. Maybe that valuable that you lost, it is something that's financially valuable. Maybe it's something that's sentimentally valuable. But I think we can all relate. We've lost something that is valuable. Because I'm the guy with the mic. I'm going to tell you my story of losing something valuable. So Cheryl and I, after we got engaged... Started talking, you know, about what are we going to do and what's the dynamics and everything. And so to, to understand everything I'm getting ready to tell you, you need to know this. That, that I was somebody that I went on a two-year dating sabbatical. Okay? Now, now, what does that mean? That, that means, hey, when, when you're somebody, you're in ministry and you can't get any dates... You just kind of go, oh yeah, this is a dating sabbatical, you know, and yeah, yeah, I'm doing it on purpose. Yeah, yeah, me and God, we just made an agreement, you know. But but literally, I I said I I don't want to date anybody for two years. I marked a calendar, and and I knew when I would start again. And so that time had ended, and I had started to date again. And and so Cheryl and I were dating, and and my parents, when I graduated from college, they offered to get me a ring from my college, or they said. We can have a ring made for you. And I'm like, a ring made for me? And I'm like, yeah. Or we can have one made for you. Like, what kind of ring? A gold ring. You're going to make a gold ring for me? Yeah. And so as we started talking about that, I, I told them I'd love to have a fish, a Christian fish, an ichthus, that kind of a ring. And they said, okay, well, we'll, we'll get you that. So I, while I was on my sabbatical, I wore that on my wedding finger. And then after that sabbatical ended, I moved it over to my right finger. And so Cheryl after we were engaged and we we're talking through everything, she says, hey, I'd really like for you to wear that ring as your wedding ring. Now, I'm really not sure what her motivation was, but you need to know that, that she paid for her wedding band and engagement ring. And I don't have time to get into that story, but she <laughs> paid for that. And I don't know if this was her way of saying, and I don't want to pay for your ring too. And so, so I think that, that we should have that ring be your wedding ring. And so, about two weeks before we exchange vows, my ring is gone. I, I have no, I, I can't picture, I can't figure, I can't remember a time when I had it and I didn't. It's just gone. And that ring was still MIA on our wedding day. And so just two days before our wedding, we scrambled and went and got a a cheap little ring that that I could be wearing and exchange vows with. And so that was what we exchanged our vows. We exchanged those rings. And I just had a simple wedding band that day. We went on our honeymoon. We got back from our honeymoon. And I had brought some things to this apartment that we now had. And she was bringing things to this apartment we now had. And so as we're bringing things and we start unpacking, one of the things I brought was my waterbed. And as I started unrolling my waterbed mattress, there was my ring. It, it, was, it was right there. And I, and I was so happy and excited. And I put it on my right hand finger because I had already had a wedding band now. And I put that on there. And I was so happy. And Cheryl was like, but I want you to wear that as your wedding ring. And I'm like, but that's not the ring you gave me on our wedding day. You know, and I'm not traditional by any means, but I am very sentimental. And so I'm like, I, I don't want to wear that ring as my wedding band. And it took her months of trying to convince me that I needed to do it before I finally switched over and I would wear that. It was great because I had found that ring. Fast forward 16 years. And we are out at the lake and we're playing. And one of the things that was common with me is we'd go out to the lake, we'd play on the boat. As we'd wakeboard, I'd have to take my ring off because it was too hard to hold the handle. And so I'd put it in a cup holder on the boat. And and then I'd wakeboard. and, And some of the days I'd actually remember... Oh, yeah, I need to get my ring when I go to leave, and, and, and I would, and then sometimes I just I wouldn't remember. Well, well, we had had some friends actually here today. We had some friends that, that were from Galveston area, and, and they were there, and, and they played with us, and then we left to go to their house and play with their boat in the Bay Area. And so I had forgotten my ring. And, yes, it's, it's my fault that I left my ring on the boat. But what happened next is beyond my control we're in Galveston, and I get a phone call. It's just barely after 7 a.m. That is waking me up. And as I receive that call, it's one of my lake neighbors, and he is telling me, Will, your boat is about to get crushed in your lift. I'm like What? He goes, it's flooding. I said, it's flooding. And he tells me, he says, yeah, and it's taking us all by surprise because it didn't rain at the lake. It had rained in New Braunfels it had rained 11 inches overnight and then the floodwaters had just started to come right at the break of dawn and nobody was prepared for it. He says, your, your, Will, your, your lifts is about, we, we, we started packing up quickly, we hit the road, it's about a four hour drive and I'm getting calls and, and, and I'm just trying to find out what's going on, I'm making calls. We, we had some great friends and, and they were taking and trying to take and do everything they could to help with our property. We had a camper, we had a bunch of outside furniture, got a friend from the lake that's here today and, and that he helped put all the stuff in our toy hauler, we weren't there. We had another friend that said, hey, we'll go get your trailer and we'll pull it out for you and and it was great because that was something we weren't having to be concerned about while we were driving one of the phone calls that I got was well sorry you lost your boat it's gone so when we arrive on scene the first thing that I do is I start to see things I go you know what? I'm, I'm just gonna take some videos and some pictures so here's a video I want you to see In just 10 seconds of one of the first things we saw when we got there. Nobody's in those. That's not mine, but, but it's somebody else's. <laughs> and they're just going to go, and they're going to go off over the dam, and they're going to get crushed, and they're, they're going to be gone. So when we get there, I start taking some photos. So here's, here's a photo I want you to see, and, and that's actually my tube, and that, that tube was tied off at my lift. And when we look at that being tied off at my lift, Wow, there it was, and my boat wasn't there. <laughs> it's gone. Okay, there's my tube, but my boat is gone. Here's, here's another photo I want you to see. And this photo is right out of us, standing this side our back deck, and looking out. That water had gone up even higher, and it was already starting to come down. Here's another photo where it had come down a little bit more. That's Noah, our son, right there, just standing there looking out, and that water's starting to recede. We, we look out. And we see where our boat was. And not only do we see where it was, we start to see signs of our boat. That there's hope. Yes, there's still our boat. We have it. And and as the water kept receding, you see another photo there. We start to see more of the boat. And it's like, uh, that's not in the right position. And it's not looking very good. And the water comes down even more. And then our last photo here, that was our boat. And when the water finally went down, looked all around, and, and remember what the story's all about, I lost my ring. And that ring was nowhere to be found in that boat. It was gone. My, my dad ended up using this as an opportunity to say, "to, to so I, I'm going to go buy a metal detector. And so he did. He buys a metal, and he's just going all up and down over the next several weeks, just trying to see if he can find that ring, and no, nope, never found it. So <clears throat> we lost all of that. We lost the boat. We lost my ring. We lost the boat. We lost our boat lift. And so priorities, right? And so two weeks after losing the boat, we replaced the boat. Priorities, right? <laughs> and so we, we did that. Thanks to insurance, and, and we did. We replaced the boat. It took us nine months to replace our lift. We had to get in line and wait for our turn of when they were going to come around and finally get ours because there was a lot of lifts that were lost that day. And when it came to actually replacing my ring, well, I actually did that later in the summer because Miri had gone to camp, and when she was at church camp, she had bought a mood ring. It was too big for her, and so she left it in my car. And after watching that ring for a few weeks in my car, knowing I didn't have a ring... That would work. <laughs> and so it worked great, you know. Do I feel like being married today? You know, I mean, it's just it was a mood ring, you know. It's just like it was just perfect for, for a wedding band, right? And so, so I did, I, I wore that. And I wore that ring for, for almost a year. And some of you might be going, well, why, why didn't you go put that other ring back on, the one that she gave you? Well, you know, at some point I actually went, okay, <laughs> this ring doesn't mean anything to me anymore. I might as well sell the gold. And so it was gone. I didn't have that ring to put back on. But I had a mood ring now, and it worked great for our marriage. It was wonderful. And so that's what I had. Well, the next summer, my boat lift had been rebuilt and replaced, and and yet there's all these little chunks of of metal from the welds and the cuts and everything when they built it. And one of my neighbors, Dean, he's here. and, and, And Dean actually was just, he's one of these guys he's always got to be productive. You know, he's always got to be doing something, right? He can't just stand around and just sit. So, so he just, while we're talking, he just keeps squatting down and picking up a little chunk of metal. Squatting down, picking up, then, then he'll toss them into the water. And, you know, then. and one of those times that he squatted down, he picked up something that was a little gold-colored. Turns out it wasn't just gold-colored, it was gold. And, and, and it was 13 months from when I had lost my ring that Dean... Found my wedding band. It it, it was just like one of these things. It's just like, wow! I thought it was gone. I I thought I'd never see that again. Now I I will tell you, I I prayed for this ring to be found. I prayed back in 1993, was we were leading up to a January wedding, ninety four, that 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 would be found, and we found it. And then I prayed again in twenty ten that it would be found, and in twenty eleven this ring it was found. And and when we look and and we we see what it's like, we we, we all know what it's like to to lose something and lose something of value. And we see that there's this prophet, that he's there. And and he's got this axe, and as he's got this axe and he's swinging it, that it just breaks off, and it goes flying off into the Jordan River. And he lost his axe. I want to say that he lost his edge, that, that, he, that he lost his edge that day. And we all know what it's like to lose something. Sometimes it, it, it's something small and trivial. Sometimes it's something that's just a, it's a cheap pair of readers. It's sunglasses. It's the pen that we were using. It's the keys. And, and sometimes those things, they're on us when we lose them, right? The, the pen's on our ear. The, the keys are in our hands. The glasses are on our head, and, and we're going, they're, they're right there. But other times we, we lose something, and it is, it's gone. And, and, and what hope is there of getting back what we have lost? And I believe this, and this is why it's worth talking about. I believe that we can just as easily lose something spiritually as we can lose something physically. We can just as easily lose something spiritually as we lose something physically. And that we can lose our spiritual edge. That I I think that if every single one of us in the room were to just kind of look over our life and go, Hey, when is the time that I've been closest to God? Most of us, if that was on a graph chart, would not be right now. It'd be in our past somewhere. It'd be us looking backwards and going, you know, there was a time that I was closer to God. There was a time that that my spiritual edge was a whole lot sharper than what it is right now. And you've lost the spiritual edge that you once had. That that you used to have a a whole lot more joy in life. That that you used to to find such joy in what life is and the relationships that you have. You used to have a relationship where where there was this love that you just felt that you just don't, don't even feel Anymore for that person for that individual that, that even when it comes to to God, you, you had a passion for God. But you don't have a passion for Him anymore. And that you've lost your spiritual edge. That passion for God gives us a spiritual edge in life. And that that when we lose our passion for God, we, we lose our spiritual edge. In life And so if we lose that spiritual edge, what, what hope is there of us getting it back? The chances are that, that for everybody here, whether you're here physically, whether you're watching this, online, tuning in that way, that, that, that you can all look and go, "Yeah, there was a time that I was much closer to God spiritually than what I am right now." That when you look back, you can go, "You know what, yeah, there was a time that, that, that going to church. You used, used to be this this priority. But but now going to church it, it's more like a pastime. It's like, hey, can I fit it in? Is it, is it going to happen? That that's what happens. It, it used to be that that when it came to reading God's word, spending time alone in God's word, that, that, that for you that that was something that you went, man, I crave that. I can't get a, enough of it. And and now when you find yourself reading it, it actually feels more like a chore. When you finally. Make yourself read it, that you've, you've lost that spiritual edge that you once had. And what hopes is there of getting it back? See, when, when there's a, a passion for God, this passion for God that gives us this edge, it, it's when we have this greater devotion for God. That, that when we have this passion for Him, that there's a deeper connection to Him in our, in our prayer life. That when we have this passion for God, there's a desire, a deep desire that that more people and the people around us, that that they would discover the joy of Jesus. Whether that is that they would just grow in their faith or that they would be introduced to Jesus and and have a faith for the very first time. All of that is when we have a passion for God. But see, some of us, we've, we've lost that passion. You might even be here and go, you know what, Will, I, I don't know that I can ever say I've, I've had that passion. I'm, I'm here and I'm, I'm interested. I, I think I might like to have that kind of spiritual edge. But you might go, I, I've never had that. What can we do to get this spiritual edge? Because I'm confident that God can help you find the edge that you've lost. I'm confident of it. That God can help you find the edge You've lost. So let's get back to 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 5. But as one of them was cutting a tree, his axe head fell into the river. Oh, sir, he cried. It was a borrowed axe. That, that he instantly, this prophet, he goes into this panic. Because he goes, hey, that axe, it just fell off. and That axe, head it's now in the water. And, and oh, sir, that was a borrowed axe. Let me tell you why I think it was borrowed. I think it was borrowed because that metal in this day was expensive. The, the, you had to have significant financial means to afford metal. And if you were going to buy an axe head, you even had to have the resources to be able to have the oil and pay to have it sharpened and, and take care of this thing. And so here's a guy that's going, hey, I'm just a prophet. I don't have that kind of resource. So he had borrowed an axe to be able to build something so that more people could gather and more people could grow in their faith. And this axe head flies off and it goes into the water in the Jordan. Now, we can look in here and go, I I see the axe head. But I don't think that they could see it that day. When we look at scripture, and we'll, we'll finish looking at it here in a minute, that, that, that there's this panic that, that he doesn't know really where it's at. He can't get to it. And, and so the, the water there in the Jordan, it's kind of this dank and, and murky water that's there. Couldn't actually see that water. Just couldn't see through it to be able to see, hey, wh- where is that accent? And so this panic, and he's crying out. And he says, oh, sir, because who's the sir? The sir is Elisha. Elisha, I know you can do a lot of things, and God can do a lot of things through you. And, and, and just to try to motivate you a little bit more, it's not even my axe head that was lost. It was borrowed. And so this unnamed prophet that's borrowed this axe head, he's instantly desperate to get it back. I, I wish that that would be true about us when we lose our spiritual edge, that, that there's this instant desire to get it back. But a lot of times we'll just kind of drift through life It takes us going through a lot of hardships before we have the desire to get our spiritual edge back. We know what it's like to to lose a spiritual edge, don't we? We we know what it's like to certainly lose our edge in life. We know what it's like to to lose our edge in life when, when we lose a job. We know what it's like to. To lose our edge in life when we end up losing this relationship that just starts to fall apart on us. We know what it's like to lose our edge in life when when our health just takes a dive. We know what it's like to lose our edge in life when there's somebody that we love that we're close to and suddenly they're taken from us. And it's during times like these that, that we can begin to question does God even care? Does God even care about me and what's going on with me and in my life? And the answer is, oh, yes, he does. And it's during these kind of times that that we'll either turn away from God or we're going to turn toward God. And we're going to make our choice of what we are going to do. But God God can help you find the edge that you've lost. He can. We've got to be willing to turn to him. Verse 6, where did it fall? The man of God asked. That's Elijah, and Elisha, I'm sorry. And he's asking, hey, where did it fall? And, and, and with what he does from here, it's, it's different than what I think I would have done. But after he asked, where did it fall? It says, when he showed him the place, Elisha cut a stick, threw it into the water at that spot. That Elisha doesn't go, hey, hey, where did it fall? Show me the, the general area. Hey, we'll all just jump in and everybody kind of move and we'll move this way and we'll just kind of reach our way around. We'll, we'll kind of feel it. And oh, 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 there, 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 there it is. I, I found it and be able to pull it out. But this isn't the approach that Elisha had. That, that instead for Elisha, when this takes place, he actually does something very unique, something that a prophet with with his power from God. That he would have, this is what takes place. It says, when he showed him the place, Elisha cut a stick, threw it into the water at that spot. It's like, hey, I'm going to have the axe head just fetch this stick. <laughs> and he does, he cuts it, and he just throws it at that place. And after he throws it at that place, then the axe head floated to the surface. I mean, That's, that's a stranger thing. That this metal object that was on the, it now just floats right to the surface. Grab it, Elisha said. And the man reached out and grabbed it. It's it's, it's kind of trivial, right? When we look at it, it's kind of like, sure, it's a stranger thing, but but what's what's, what's the real significance here that, that God makes an axe head float? But but why? Why would God do something that seems so trivial? Why would that trivial thing make its way into Scripture? What difference could that possibly make? That this unnamed prophet because he had borrowed this axe and he lost it he now had a debt that he could not pay. That, That That he did not have the means for this. And so he instantly and desperately turns to a man of God to be able to recover what has been lost. I think when it comes to our life, when we begin to understand who God is and what God has done, that one of the things that we learned is, we will learn, is that we are living here on earth with borrowed time. It's borrowed time that, that God has, has put out there for us. That, what are we going to do with this time? Are we going to know him? Are we going to serve him? Are we going to love him? Are we going to reject? What are we going to do with this short, temporary time here on earth that is borrowed to us, that is lent to us? Because what we do here is going to make a difference for all of eternity. And what are we going to do with it? That when we look at this axe head, that... that it is something that has a purpose. It, it's shaped and it's sharpened. And it's shaped and it's sharpened for a purpose. And I believe that you and me, that, that, that our lives, we are shaped with a purpose. And that, that we do, we 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 have this shaping and this sharpening in our lives, and that is done with a purpose. So when we look at our lives, it's important for us to know that, that we were created on purpose with purpose, and for purpose, that that's us. And that, that we, we can't afford to, to live our lives in, in this borrowed time, that just going through and just kind of swinging and aimlessly doing something with, with a stick that says, hey, I, I've lost the most important part and I've lost my edge, and I can't really accomplish anything. That, that if we've lost our edge, we, we've got to get it back. That if we've lost our spiritual edge, we've got to get it back. And God will help us get our edge back. I want us to look at how to get your spiritual edge back. It's just going to be quick. We're going to look at this. It's found right here in this account. That if you've lost your spiritual edge, how to get your spiritual edge back. One, call out to God. See, this unnamed prophet, he's going, hey, I, I can call out to you, Elisha, who's right here. That's gonna, God's going to hear that. Call out to God. If you've lost your spiritual edge, call out to God. Secondly, admit where you lost it. It's one of the things that Elisha says, hey, where, where did you lose it? Where did it go? And he points and he's like, hey, right here, this, this, is, this is where I lost it. This is the one that's, that's harder for us. We're like, okay, I, I'm going I'm to call out to God. I lost a mistake. Okay, God, can you help me get it back? But it's harder for us to admit where we lost it. What, what are these things that I've, I've done with my life that, that I've started to move further and further away from God? Because, see, that's where we lost it. We lost it when we started moving further and further from him. Where is it that we said, you know what, it's about me trying to satisfy my desires instead of making sacrifices so that I can serve God. And, and when we do this, that sometimes we'll end up going, I'm more interested in serving my desires than serving God. And what we will do is we will move further away and we will lose our spiritual. What is it that you're doing? What is it that you did do? What is it? Where did you lose it? And the third thing, receive what you've lost with God's help. See, as Elisha threw that stick out there and the, and the axe had floated, yes, stranger thing, it didn't just come to him. He told his unnamed prophet, reach out and grab. It. If you're going to receive it, you've got to take action still. And if we're going to get our spiritual edge back, if you've lost it, yes, call out to God. Admit where you lost it. But if you're going to receive this thing that God says, yes, I'm going to give this to you. Receive what you've lost with God's help. Stop thinking you're going to do it on your own. Because you're not going to get your spiritual edge back on your own. It's why when we look at this, there's so much for us to learn. It's this weird and wacky stuff in our Bible that gives us so much wisdom. And we call out to God. And we do that with praying to Him. And maybe you're somebody you're going, you know, I, I'd really like to be praying with somebody instead of just praying by myself. And you can do that. That, that if you're watching online, you can text PRAY247 to 555-888. That, that if you're somebody that you're here, one of the things that we do after every service is our care team comes to the front. And they're here to to pray with you and to to help you, to, to, to just be there for you. And so if you're going, I've lost my spiritual edge, then please don't hesitate to pray with somebody. Whether you want to do that here, whether you want to stop by our next steps booth, but know that that is a step. Call out to God for help, and He will help you. You can receive what you've lost, admit where you lost it, and receive what you've lost with God's help pray with me God you certainly know where each of us in this room are not not just here physically but but where we are spiritually God, you know that 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 if we're on on our on our high peak of of we're right there and and God we are just we're at the greatest sharpest point of our life ever spiritually connected to you and if that's true of us, then God, help us to just keep living out our life on purpose, with purpose, for purpose. But God, if there's some of us that, that when we look, we go, well, I am I am nowhere near having the, the spiritual ed that I used to have. God, I pray that you would convict us. And with that conviction, God, that we would seek, we would desire to get back what we have lost. And that, God, we would count on you to help us find it.